the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and this week I've had the great privilege of filling in for Pastor Ron, my pastor, uh, who is on vacation. Uh, Both he and Paula have been enjoying their time in California. Uh, He, again, sends his love, appreciates your prayers, um, and he is also praying for you, the radio listening audience. Uh, So as a programming note, uh, today will be the last day we take your live calls. And then next week we will have pre-recorded programs. And then the following week, Pastor Ron will be back here in the radio studio uh, to take your calls. So the show continues as normal, which means we're here to take your Bible questions, questions uh, about doctrine, questions about Jesus, questions about how to put the Word of God into practice in your life and, and what that looks like. Uh, so let me give you the phone numbers here to call in. It's 210-340-9585, That's the toll-free number, 877 the email address to submit your questions is questions at calvarysa.com. You can use our church app. You can use the radio station app to call in or whichever way is easiest for you. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Well, like I said, it's Friday, which means here at Calvary Chapel, it's our New Testament uh, Bible study night. And so tonight, Pastor Will Shank will be teaching out of Second John, and I'm sure it's going to be a huge blessing. So if that's something that you normally attend, everything will continue as normal, 7 p.m. tonight at Calvary Chapel. Pastor will, will be teaching. Tomorrow, a prayer for anyone that listens uh, from the church body. Prayer is on at 9.30 as usual. Uh, I will be there uh, to conduct our corporate time of prayer just like Pastor Ron usually does. It's June 21st. can't believe it's June 21st, which means it's the first day of summer. It's officially summer. Now, if you're here in South Texas, you know that it's already felt like summer. And Pastor Ron would say it's absolutely perfect because he loves the summer temperature. Um, well, for me, it's a little bit warm, but this is Texas, so it's what we expect. In fact, May and I were just talking yesterday, but it was warm, but not surprising. And we were used to it, walking around. I mean, we didn't stay outside very long, but it's interesting how the, the Texas heat is something that the body usually will acclimate to, not always. So... Uh, looking here at the calendar, I mean, at the weather 
in San Diego, where Pastor Ron is in the vicinity of, it's a freezing 67 degrees. So, Pastor Ron, I hope you're enjoying that salt water from the Pacific Ocean. And I would be remiss if I didn't also mention one more thing. Today's June 21st, which means it's the first day of summer and it is my youngest daughter's birthday. Her seventh birthday is today. So, Milani, happy birthday. You are a blessing from the Lord and you are a bundle of joy, a bundle of energetic joy. And you are so cute. So anyways, happy birthday, sweetheart. We love you. Okay. I have given you the numbers. And so what I need to do is, before I take the first question, uh, if you were tuning in yesterday, you know it's a date day edition. At the very beginning of the program, I apologize for the technical difficulties we had on Wednesday. If you were listening to the show, I, I, I hope... Uh, your eardrums were, weren't uh, hurt, or hopefully the speakers in your car weren't damaged. But what I heard, not from our side, but from people listening, was that it got pretty loud because of the technical issues. So I apologize. What I want to do is briefly cover some of the questions that I addressed uh, during the Wednesday edition. I won't reiterate everything that I said, but just in case... Uh, you were listening and you submitted a question. Since you took the time to submit a question, I want to take the time to make sure I, I give you a proper response. So I'm going to start with Sheila. She, this was towards the first half, the end of the first half of the show. And again, I don't know if the, the radio signal allowed for everyone to hear, so I'm just going to briefly reiterate some of the things that I shared. Sheila's question was this. My dad's funeral is tomorrow. This would have been yesterday, uh, Thursday. I've been sharing with my dad about Jesus for many years, but, sh but he would never listen. But when he was dying, his heart softened and he received Jesus as his Savior. I really believe he became born again, but his death is hitting me harder than I thought. How do I face tomorrow when I find it hard to even let myself think that he's gone? And because I know who Sheila is, uh, we actually uh, spoke and I can tell you that the funeral that was yesterday, uh, it went really well. And uh, what I did in answering her question was point her back to Jesus. Uh, the fact that her dad resisted Jesus for almost the entirety of his life but allowed the Lord to soften his heart on his deathbed uh, is something to celebrate. And the fact that he passed from the, the, the sick physical body into the presence of the lover of his soul, Jesus Christ, the one who, who has been chasing him for his entire life, he was able to see him face to face. And so when you think about that, uh, let that be a source of rejoicing in your heart because not only is he no longer suffering, but he has reached the goal of his salvation. Even if he was only born again at the very end. But when you say that his death is hitting me harder than I thought, how do I face tomorrow when I find it hard to even let myself think that he's gone? I pointed you, Sheila, to John chapter 11 in the way that Jesus comforted Martha when Martha's brother, Lazarus, passed away. And Jesus was a close friend of the family, and Martha, when she saw Jesus, didn't understand why Jesus would have come earlier, why, why he didn't come earlier and possibly prevented her brother from dying. The encouragement we get from Jesus and that he shares with Martha is what I also share with you. Because Martha knew that her brother would rise again in the resurrection, but Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. And so when we turn our attention to Jesus, 
we give him permission to comfort our hearts. And we're not ignoring the pain that's in front of us, but we're, we're looking to him so that he can help us deal with the difficult things that are right in front of us. And this isn't exclusive to just funerals, but it's a principle that we've got to apply to every single part of our lives. Now, I had mentioned already, Sheila, we'd spoken and uh, since the, before the funeral and afterwards, and, and because you put yourself out there, you allow the Lord to use you, I know you shared the hope of Jesus Christ among unbelieving family, and God was glorified. So I, I hope that helps. How do you face tomorrow? How did you face tomorrow? You did it by being close to Jesus and letting him empower you with the Spirit so that even in the middle of your pain, God can use you in the comfort that you were comforted with. You comfort others. That's why we have the Spirit of God to help us in our time of need. The next question from Wednesday, and this is a good one, it was from an anonymous junior hire. And it says, what does it mean in Hebrews twelve twenty four when it says that the blood of Jesus says better things than the blood of Abel? I'll say the same thing I said on Wednesday. Uh, God bless you. God bless you. It, when I see questions like this, detailed questions about the scriptures, it, it tells me that the person asking these questions is a student of the word of God someone who's really digging into their Bibles. And when, when a person does that, God honors it. And there's a deeper knowledge and a deeper intimacy about God's Word, like my wife who does the, the radio, the recorded radio program intro and outro. Uh, she, she, she always says, fall deeper in love with your Bible and you'll fall deeper in love with Jesus, we promise. And that's because when you study the Word of God and you get to know who Jesus is more, you'll fall even more in love with Him. Now, your question about Hebrews chapter 12, I believe Paul the Apostle, who penned this letter, was writing to Jewish Christians who were being tempted to go back to their religious lifestyle. Remember, the letter as a whole is sort of a treatment to help Christians, Jewish Christians, remember uh, the difference between um, the Old Covenant and the New, and, and, and more to the point, why the New Covenant is better. But the recipients of the letter, the Christians, the Hebrew Christians, were under so much pressure and persecution from even their own family to convert back. And so, like I said, the, the letter to the Hebrews uses a lot of comparisons between the Old Covenant and the New to show that this old religion is nothing compared to this new relationship with Jesus. That's the Old versus the New Covenant. Now, this passage in chapter 12 is about the realities that come from being the people of the new covenant. And in verse 24, uh, what's being described here is the blood of Jesus that says better things. What is the better thing that he's saying? It's grace. The blood of Jesus says grace. Well, how is that better than the blood of Abel? Well, the blood of Abel says judgment. Remember, when Abel was murdered by his brother Cain, as a result of his sin, Cain's sin, God said to Cain that your judgment for your sin will be the cursing of the ground that you work. That, that would be his livelihood. Remember, he was one that worked the ground. And he says, and you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the, on the earth. And then his response, Cain's response was, oh, this is too much for me to bear. So the blood of Abel speaks of judgment. Well, the blood of Jesus is better because it says great. You see, my sin is worse 
than Cain's sin. And not so much in the actual act of sin and what was done and the consequences of it, but, but my sin in my own life means that I deserve death. But instead of speaking uh, through the blood of Abel and, and, and judgment being carried out towards me, Jesus said, I love Ken. And because I love him, I'm going to take the judgment, the punishment, the wrath that he deserves. That's his grace. And that's why the blood of Jesus says better things than the blood of Abel. So Anonymous Junior Hire, I hope that makes sense. Again, that's a huge blessing when I see young kids digging into their Bibles. Oh, I, I love it because that means that the foundation is laid for, for that young individual to, to see the fruit that in their own lives that, that many of us who were older didn't get to experience at their age. And it can only lead to good things. Okay, 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. Toll free number is 877-630-5757. 877-630-5757. Questions at calvarysa.com. That's the email address. If you want to submit a question that way, uh, you can use the app to submit questions. That's the Calvary Chapel San Antonio app. Or you can dial in using the KSLR or the AM630 app. And you could hit the button at the top, and you don't have to mess with your phone. Emily says... Should we worship on Saturday or on Sunday? Oh, you know what? I, actually, Emily, I'm going to hold off on your question because we have a phone call. I don't want to keep the callers waiting. So, line one, Cindy from San Antonio, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. Okay, now I have Hi, a Cindy. question about um, angels, and it's it's kind of about how much... Uh, do they actually understand about uh, before Jesus came to earth and after? And the reason I'm asking this is, is that I've got two different scriptures here. But first I'm thinking that uh, way back when the fall happened, that they had to have had an understanding that going with the devil was not a good idea. So there must have been some kind of understanding. And then what's, what I'm wondering about is with these two scriptures, First Peter... Chapter 1, verse 12, the second part of it um, says that the, um, those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these mm-hmm. things. Now the next verse I have is Luke fifteen ten. It says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So I'm thinking they must understand quite a bit. If, if they're rejoicing that somebody repented, then they must be pretty aware of what's going on down here. So that's my, I guess that's kind of my question of what do you think they know? And great, all this great online. question. Oh, great question, Cindy. Uh, I, I love this. Absolutely love this. In fact, I, I think I... Uh, had a question about this. I don't know if I already answered it, but it's a perfect segue. So the question about angels, the two passages you pointed out, make sure I got them, Luke chapter 15, which Pastor Ron is going to teach when he gets back or a week after he gets back, and First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse, I think verse 12. So let's look at these passages and what they mean as, as it pertains to angels. I love, this passage in First Peter, because you have it absolutely right. When in that passage, let me read it quickly. It was revealed. This is verse twelve. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, talking about those who came before us, but you. When they spoke of the things that have have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, 
by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Now, the reason why I, I read that context back at the beginning of the verse in verse 12 is because what you mentioned is at the very end of verse 12. But what Peter's talking about here is the revelation of Scripture, which is that Jesus came to save the lost. And that was the plan from the very beginning. And all of the Old Testament prophets and all of the, the, the people who spoke for God and those whom the Holy Spirit pushed the pens of to write the Scriptures all had one purpose, which is to point to the salvation that would come through Jesus Christ. So in verse 12, when Peter is saying that all these things that Jesus would endure, the sufferings of Christ and the glory that was to follow, they realized, you know what, the prophets and the writers of the Old Testament realized that what they were writing wasn't about them. It was to write and, and point to Jesus for us. So when they spoke of these things, when the prophets of old spoke about the salvation that was to come, it was for our benefit. And at the same time, if you think about the prophets of old pointing forward to the cross for our benefit, we have this last sentence, even the angels long to look into these things. So from a heavenly perspective, it's almost as if the angels, the servants of God, are, are, are peeking into the work that Jesus is doing into the hearts of the people whom he loves. Uh, and then that transitions into Luke chapter 15 when we know through the parable that when one person gives their life, when a sinner repents of their sin and becomes born again, because that's what's implied there in Luke 15, when someone gets saved, there's a party in heaven. Why? Because the angels are celebrating. They're, they're, they're celebrating the work that God is doing in us. And to, to from a distance, just to look and see um, how God could impart grace and instill hope in the lives of people whom he loves that were going through a time when they were dead and now to be made alive, that's their, their purpose. That's, that's what their goal is. That the angels who serve God in heaven peer into the lives to see the work that God is doing in our hearts. So that's why when Peter's talking about the angels and he says they long to look into the, these things, that these things is that, that the, when a sinner repents of their sin and becomes born again. And then that celebration in Luke 15, when there's a party in heaven. I love telling people when they first give their lives to the Lord that right now there's a celebration. Why? Because God knew that this day would be the day that you would come to him, that your sin would be forgiven. And though you look the same on the outside, on the inside, you've got a brand new heart. And what Jesus is doing is with the angels in heaven celebrating. It blows me away personally when I think about all of the things that I've done in my life. Before I was saved, I knew I was far from God. But on November 30th, 1997, that night when I gave my life to the Lord, Jesus was waiting for that day. Even if he isn't limited by time and space, he knew that would be the day that I would come to him. And all of my sin was forgiven. And instantaneously, I was justified by faith. My slate was completely wiped clean. That's why they're celebrating in heaven. So what do the angels know? It's almost like they're rooting for us. They're cheering us on. And I find that to be encouraging. So, Cindy, I hope that answers your question. And, and thank you for, for bringing that up because um, I'd also mentioned on Wednesday that there was a couple right before church that um, on Sunday, 
that uh, came in for the first time. And they heard about Jesus because they were religious, but they knew they needed something more. But there in the first few minutes, right before church started, it was obvious that the Lord is already working on their hearts. And when I explained to them what the Bible says about being born again, they said, that's what I want. That's, what we, that's why we're here. And then there was a party in heaven because they gave their lives to the Lord. I, I love how the Bible describes that angels are longing, look, long to look into these things. Okay, well, I have a little bit less than a minute. And so let me remind you on this Friday edition, this is the last live program, not only of the week, but it's going to be the last live program for... Uh, another additional week because we have pre-recorded programs next week and then Pastor Ron will be back live on the air the following Monday. But in the meantime, we still got 30 minutes left. So if you want to call in, you can do so after our two-minute break. This is the Word to Stand On for Life and we'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the Friday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and if you're just tuning in, I've been filling, uh, filling in for Pastor Ron, my pastor, on this radio show, everything else continues as normal. We're here to take your Bible questions, questions about uh, how to put the Word of God into practice in your life, questions about doctrine, anything, basically anything we can do to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. I mean, that's why we're here. So the phone number here is 210 210-340-9585. 85-877-630-5757. That's the toll-free number. Questions at Calvary SA. That's the email address if you want to submit your questions that way. And by the way, if you submit an email question, you can still do that uh, now or, or even next week while we have pre-recorded programs. Um, we'll take your questions, or actually Pastor Ron will take your questions on July 1st. That's when he comes back on the air live here in the studio. So, questions at calvarysa.com. Quickly, tonight is uh, Pastor Will teaching at a Second John. It's our New Testament study night uh, here at Calvary Chapel. So you're welcome to attend there at 7 o'clock. And my producer reminded me, and I don't know how he gets this information, but today is also National Selfie Day, which I don't know if that deserves its own day, because people like to take their own pictures every day. Oh. But it's also National Seashell Day. So, Pastor Ron, that day's for you. Just another reason for you to dip your toes into the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go back to our phone lines. Line one, Gregory from San Antonio. You're on the air. Uh, yes, sir, I have a question. Yes, Gregory. How do I go about drawing close to Jesus and Jesus being near me and me being near Jesus and, you know, you know just, uh, just being close to him and him being close to me? Gregory, I love that question. Can I ask you a quick question before I answer? Are you a born-again Christian? Yes, sir, I sure am. Okay. Okay, great. So, so let me answer that, that question. Greg, the way that you become close to Jesus, and, and allow me to explain. The way to be close to Jesus is to simply be with him. Just be with Jesus. That's what we say all the time here, and there's no deep mystical meaning to that. It simply means this. You, you do what he says to do. 
you walk in step with the Spirit. You, you read the Word of God and do what it says. Now, the Bible also tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Now, uh, I can't sure. do, I can't sure. be close to him. Sure. Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Gregory. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna have to call you right back. I got something going on right now. Oh, no problem, Gregory. I'll go ahead and answer your question off the air. Okay, Gregory. So let me give you a second here to turn on your radio if you are listening. But uh, Gregory's question is, how can I be closer to Jesus? And there is no mysticism to this. It's very simple. Just be with him. Just be with him. And I'll ask you, Gregory, first, if you were a born-again Christian, that's the first question you need to ask yourself. You said you are, and so that means that the Spirit of God lives in you. And when the Spirit of God lives in you, He's speaking to you. He's guiding you. He's directing you. And when He guides and directs you, that's when you obey. But He doesn't ask you to obey Him based on your strength. He actually wants us to die to ourselves. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It means to, to die to our flesh so that I can obey and live for Jesus in the Spirit. Acts 5.32 tells us that when we obey His Word, God gives us the power of His Spirit. One of Pastor Ron's favorite verses, I love this verse, we get the word dunamos from this passage. It's one of the most common words we have in the New Testament, and it describes the power of God's Spirit uh, uh, as a means to obey Him. But it also means that when we obey Him, He supplies us with even more power. So Gregory, there really is no uh, convoluted answer to this. Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with us. And he doesn't make it difficult. But here's the challenge. In Galatians chapter 6, we know from Galatians chapter 5 and 6, look, we have this thing called the flesh. My flesh does not want to be close to Jesus. But the Spirit of God living in me does. So I die to my flesh every single day, every single hour, and every single moment. When, when Ken wants to do something that's in contradiction to what the Spirit wants to do, I've got to say no to my flesh. And I'm, I want to say yes to Jesus. Then what that will do is, is draw me even closer to Him. And when there's nothing that separates you and Jesus, you have uh, an intimacy with Him, then we can be used by God. And the joy of His salvation in my life is, is more real than ever. Psalm 16 is a, a wonderful passage. Maybe, Gregory, you can read it. But that's, from a practical sense, that's where we see what it looks like to be close to Jesus, just to be near Him. There is a fullness of joy in His presence. In fact, uh, I'm going to read from this psalm, just a couple of verses because it reiterates why it's so important just to be with Jesus. Verse 8 says this, I, will, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With Him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful once he decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I love that picture because the psalmist is describing what it looks like. And it doesn't mean, Gregory, that everything goes according to what we plan, but it means that no matter what happens, if we're close to Jesus, if we're where He wants us to be, and that's with Him, then it doesn't matter what happens. He'll be right there with us. I would also emphasize 
practically, Gregory, that you need to be a man of God's word. You need to study God's word and you need to consume it. Uh, you need to voraciously consume it and, and let it uh, not just go in and out of your mind, but let your heart meditate on the word of God. Because that's how, at least primarily, the spirit of God speaks to us. If we make it a common practice to give in to our flesh, well, then what happens after a while is that the voice of God becomes more faint. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus stops speaking to us because he never stops speaking. But it means our ears kind of grow a little bit more deaf. And, and we, we listen to things like our flesh and like the comments that people make and like what people say, we listen to these things more than we listen to Jesus. And the distance between us and Jesus grows, makes it more difficult. The way you fix that is just by repenting, making sure your heart is right with the Lord. Repenting. And then starting with a clean slate, First John chapter 1, verse 9. You have a clean slate with the Lord. You've been cleansed of all unrighteousness. And then you pick up your Bible. You open it out. And you just say, Jesus, I really want to hear from you. Speak to my heart. I want to be close to you. Fall in love with your Bible. And you will fall deeper in love with Jesus. We promise. So Gregory, I can go on and on and on about this. But I hope that at least helps. Uh, oh, Gregory, you're back on the line. Uh, Gregory, I don't know if you were able to hear the answer, but uh, did you have any further questions? Uh, just uh, better ways to know how to, you know, really fight the devil, you know. I know with okay. Jesus I can whoop the devil, but uh, okay. he makes my life pretty complicated sometimes absolutely okay so i have a, a better picture of what you're asking gregory and i can help so when the enemy attacks and he does he is relentless in his attack even on believers yes, he, sure he knows and and the only way gregory uh we can thrive while the enemy attacks is by being close to jesus there is no prayer. You don't need to bind the enemy. You don't need to rebuke him because these things are traps set by the enemy to take our attention off of Jesus. Because when I'm with Jesus, I'm not going to pay attention to what the enemy is saying. I'm going to, to listen to his voice, to Jesus's voice, more than I'm going to listen to what the enemy or anybody else is saying. And that's why I said, and I don't know if you're able to listen, but the, the simple answer to being closer to Jesus is just to be with him. Be closer than your circumstances. Be closer to Jesus than the people in your life. Be closer to Jesus than, than you are to anything else. And what will happen, Gregory, is that his voice, not an audible voice, but the voice that speaks to your heart, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll hear it louder than anything else. Because here's the reality of our lives as Christians. We have the Spirit of God living in us. And he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. But, First Peter chapter 5, we know that the enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion and he all wants to do three things. He wants to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And like I said, he can't have us, but he will try everything to make our lives miserable. But he can't succeed, and he won't succeed if we pay closer attention to what Jesus is saying than to what the enemy is saying. So don't get caught up in the, um, you know, the semantics and all the, the, the acts of, of engaging with the enemy in spiritual warfare. Oh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. When we start to shout at the devil and do things like that. We don't, we don't need to do that. Again, that, that's just us falling for the trap that the enemy is setting for us. And the trap is, take your eyes off of Jesus. It's, it's kind of like when you're driving down the freeway and somebody says, hey, 
hey, look at that thing off to the right. Well, if you take your attention off of the, the lane in front of you and you start veering, looking off to the right or left, well, guess what? The car is going to get off track. Get back on track. Stay with Jesus. And you don't need to worry about what anybody else is doing in your life. Well, I sure appreciate the uh, information and encouragement, positive encouragement. You're welcome, Gregory. And I, I don't know if you heard earlier, but I, I, um, I read to you Psalm 16. I would encourage you to go and read that, especially starting from verse 8. Uh, it's a short passage, but it's a picture of what happens when you're with him. In his presence is the fullness of joy. So be with Jesus. Okay, Gregory? Yes, sir. I thank you for all your information and positive encouragement. It has really enlightened my spirit, you know, to try to be a better Christian, you know, and I I can draw more closer to Jesus. That's right. And let me add one more thing, Gregory, before you go. His love for you is never dependent upon your performance. His love for you and for me is never dependent upon your performance. That means you don't have to try to be a good Christian. You don't have to try to do Christian things. Just be with him. Let your motive be gratitude. Because the life that you're living now, Gregory, is a life that you don't deserve to have. But he saved you. He's forgiven you of your sin. Given you another chance. Use the life that you have now to celebrate and to honor Jesus in everything that you do. And yeah, the enemy will still continue to attack, but you know what? So what? That's okay. Okay, sir. Well, thank you for everything. I appreciate this. I appreciate this moment to talk to you. And um, uh, I'll do just what you said. I have a great day, Gregory, and thank you for your call. Okay. But that, like I said earlier, that actually is one of the questions, or very closely related to the question that was one of the questions that was submitted. So, what an awesome encouragement. I started to read Emily's question, and so let me get on to that one. Emily says, should we worship on Saturday or on Sunday? Emily, we are not under the Old Testament law. Therefore, the Sabbath day, that's the Jews uh, considered on Saturday, the Sabbath day worship does not apply to Christians. In fact, Paul says in the 14th chapter of his letter to the Romans that one man would regard one day over another and another regards every day the same. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. So if anyone tries to say that the only day you can worship Jesus is on Saturday, it's because they're tying themselves to the Sabbath, which is part of the Old Testament law given to the Jews. It doesn't apply to Christians. Now, why do we worship on Sundays then? Well, this is simple, because the first century church met on Sunday. Acts chapter 20 says that on the first day of the week, When we were gathered together, they broke bread and Paul would begin to teach the Bible. Same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Revelation chapter 1. In these passages, it always references uh, Sunday, which they would also call in some translations the Lord's Day. And that leads to the obvious point why we do on Sunday, why we worship on Sundays. That's because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And because the early church recognized that as the the day that they would worship, that's what we do. Now, practically speaking, Emily, we want to worship Jesus every single day. We don't want only Sundays to be the day where we worship the Lord. That would be um, a miserable life. I want you, Emily, to live a life a lifestyle of worship. That means Saturday, Sunday, Monday through Friday, every day. 
is a celebration of what Jesus has done for you and what he's doing in your life. And worship isn't just singing. Worship is the way you live your life. Worship is the way you talk to people, the way you make your decisions. You know, how you, Emily, how you, if you're married, how you would talk to your husband, or if you have kids, how you talk to your children. Um, how, it's how you let the Spirit of God dictate what you do on a day-to-day basis. That's what worship is. And when your heart is grateful to the Lord, uh, you see everything as an opportunity to worship. Even things like taking out the trash and washing dishes. You can worship God doing these things. So the answer to your question is we should worship every day. But we worship as a church collectively on Sundays because that's what the early church did. Patty has a question here. Pastor Ken, what are what is your thoughts on tithing? Should a Christian tithe? And uh, well, Interestingly enough, another question related to the Old Testament law. The tithe is an Old Testament commandment that was given to the Jews, just like the Sabbath. But the Sabbath is mentioned in Hebrews, in the, in the New Testament, but Jesus is our Sabbath. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 says. But as it regards the tithe, the tithe is not mentioned. Jesus mentions it in in the New Testament when he's talking to the Pharisees, but the New Testament doesn't teach that the tithe is required. In fact, it would be unbiblical to teach Christians that they're required to give 10%. But the New Testament does teach, and this is the kicker, that we should give. I didn't say tithe, but we should give. But when we give, it shouldn't be out of obligation or a compulsion. Every Sunday, our announcer reminds the body here that we want everyone to give as the Lord leads. Each one should give what you have decided in your heart. And the implication here is what the Lord speaks to your heart about. That's what you give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Literally, it means hilarious, a gratefully hilarious giver. So we're not giving to Jesus because we have to. We're giving because we get to. One of the greatest examples of this is when Jesus is speaking in Luke chapter 21, and they're observing people giving their offerings, and then he points out a poor widow and says that she gave more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. And she put everything she had to live on. That's the heart of someone that's, that's giving as the Lord leads. It doesn't mean you've got to empty your bank account and dump it into the church offering box. But it means you recognize that everything you have belongs to Jesus. And freely you receive, so freely you give. Are we required to tithe? No. Should we give? Yes. And when you give, remember, everything is Jesus' money. All of it is Jesus' money, not just 10%. That's the easy way out because you can write a number and say, okay, fine, cut a check. 90% is mine. But the Lord wants us to remember that everything we have is his. Our money, uh, our families, our material possessions, the time that we have. Just seek the Lord and he'll tell you what to do with it. I told you here at Calvary Chapel, we don't pass a plate. And I know this isn't your question, Patty, but I think it bears mentioning that what the Lord has asked us to do here is not to let our needs be known. As a church, we don't want to pass the plate or 
stick an offering tray in front of somebody uh, in the case that they may feel compelled to give. That's just what the Lord has told us to do. And we want to be obedient to that. It doesn't mean that churches that do that are wrong. We're just trusting that they're simply obeying the Lord and doing what he's asked them to do, just like we are. So, Patty, I hope that helps. I've got about two minutes left, and so I wanted to take just a moment to say thank you to the radio listening audience. I don't have enough time to take any more calls, uh, but if you want to submit your questions for Pastor Ron, uh, use the email address, questions at calvarysa.com. You can submit them now until July 1st, uh, where that's when Pastor Ron will be back on the air here taking your live calls. Uh, it has been my absolute pleasure to interact with the radio listening audience. Usually I'm on that side of the microphone where I'm listening to, to Pastor Ron, but to get to interact with, with the people whom Jesus loves, the people who we love, it is really my privilege. And so thank you. Thank you. Um, the reminder that tonight is our New Testament Bible study with Pastor Will at 7 o'clock, and that uh, all next week we have pre-recorded programs. Uh, we'll be rebroadcasting shows that are uh, been aired in the past, so that means that we will not be able to take your calls. And then Pastor Ron will take your calls on July 1st. That's the Monday he returns. Well, there's the music. And uh, again, thank you for letting me be a part of your afternoon. This is the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. Pastor Ron will be back on July 1st. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.